Well, good morning. Good to see you all here this morning as we turn to the Word of God. We're reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter 8 this morning. We're reading the first 30 verses. So let's turn to the Scriptures now and uh, look at that passage. Mark, chapter 8, from verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he, the Lord Jesus, called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, twelve. And the the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit in his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. But they looked like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. We're glad to have the privilege of reading the word of God together. Now, I don't know if you spend any time on social media. I do. Not, not too much, not as much time as I used to, but a little bit I do. And one of the things you find when you are scrolling maybe Facebook 
or Twitter or whatever social media site is of your choosing. One of the things that they do is they target adverts based on what they think you'll be interested in or what they think might be good for you. And I was scrolling my Facebook feed a little while back and this advert came up. The Jesus Trail Virtual Challenge. And this caught my eye. And of course I stopped scrolling and that was enough to tell the algorithm that I was interested. So now I can see this one a lot. Um, So basically the idea of this was it was one of these virtual sort of fitness challenges. And you run or walk or you can even swim and you put into an app the details of what you've done or if you've got a a fitness bracelet or whatever, it can take the data from that or your phone. And uh, it works out how much of a a 39-mile route from Nazareth to Capernaum you have uh, travelled as you've completed your fitness activity. And you unlock rewards along the way and it shows you photos of places along the way or video footage along the way. And uh, then at the end you get a medal. Um, Of course you have to pay for to, to, to join the app, nothing, nothing's free. Um, and uh, now Facebook's determined to try and sell me this, and I'm, you know, one of these days I'm going to crumble and uh, say, take my money, you know. But uh, I haven't yet, uh, and maybe I should. Um, but, well, we're not going to do the, the, the Jesus Trail virtual challenge this morning, but we are going to eavesdrop on the disciples. As they keep company with the Lord Jesus. And what's quite a fast moving uh, piece of narrative. We've got a map up here. We're going to put some headers on the map. Just as we follow where they went. Around some places around Galilee. And then further north to Caesarea Philippi. And we're going to, we're going to build up our knowledge of who the Lord Jesus is. Who is he? Because that's something that Mark has really been building up. In this whole narrative as we've gone through Mark's gospel. And we've learned that the Lord Jesus is the beloved Son of God. We learned that way back in chapter 1 when God spoke from heaven to say that. We've learned that the Lord Jesus has authority over demons, over disease, over disability, over nature, over death. And we've seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle that demonstrated that. We've seen that he kept company with the people that were looked down on in society. And people were saying, well, why does he eat with the sinners? They they looked down on certain people not realising that all are sinners. And he said, well, look, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. We've seen him speaking in parables. And uh, we're building our knowledge of who the Lord Jesus is. And the disciples are assimilating more knowledge about who the Lord Jesus is. And we'll learn lots more in today's passage. And we actually come to a bit of a climax in today's passage. As the disciples are trying to put it all together. And the Lord Jesus helps them put it all together. And invites them. Asks them some questions. Gets them to process it. Who is he? Who is this person? Who is Jesus? And then at the end. We prepare ourselves for a big surprise that as we start to just sneak a little look into next week's passage, we're not going to steal next week's passage, but we see a big surprise. It was going to be a big surprise for the disciples. And ultimately we're going to see that as we build up this picture of who the Lord Jesus is, it's not just with a view to it being head knowledge. It's not just with a view to getting the right answer on a quiz or a test paper or whatever. As we grow in our appreciation of who the Lord Jesus is, that carries implications for us. That places demands on us because Mark isn't just presenting the truth about the Lord Jesus uh, in, in the interest of it being an abstract fact that has no bearing on our lives. He says, you know what, here is this man, Jesus of Nazareth, this one who is the Christ, 
the Messiah, the anointed one, this one who is, as Matthew pointed out in, 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 in the parallel passage, the son of the living God. And that carries implications for us because the question is how will we respond to that? Because he calls us to follow him. He calls us to trust in him. He calls us to place our faith in him and him alone. So as we build up our knowledge in this passage of who the Lord Jesus is, it's not just that we go away knowing a few more things than we knew at the start. That's, that's all fine and good. But it's that we might come to follow him. If you've never come to trust in him, that you might come to trust in him. So we've got four little sections we're going to go through as we're going to learn that he completely satisfies. We're going to look at that in the ver- first ten verses. We're going to learn that he is opposed from verses 11 to 21. We're going to learn that he lets us see everything clearly from verses 22 to 26. And we're going to culminate in that climax. We're going to learn that he is the Christ, verses 27 to 30. So we start off down, and you'll see that my headers are not just eccentrically placed on this map. They're roughly where these things happened, to the best of our knowledge. We're not always told immediate detail, exact detail of where they happened. But, as we look at this feeding of the 4,000, we're down on the east side of Galilee, down towards the southeast. We're basically in what was known as Gentile territory, non-Jew territory. And this is actually quite significant. You see, the Lord Jesus w- was going beyond the, the, the historical territory of the Jews. That sounds like a very important message, a very important message uh, that his, he, he, his message and his offer of salvation goes out not just to one particular group of people, but to all who will follow him, all who will believe in him. So let's look at verses 1 to 10 and see that he completely satisfies. You see, we've already read of the Lord Jesus feeding 5,000 people. That was in chapter 6. 5,000 people. He took five loaves and two fishes, and he taught them all day, and... He fed 5,000 men plus women and children and then 12 baskets of leftovers were were taken up. That was remarkable. That was miraculous. Now he's with a great crowd of 4,000 people. They've been with the Lord Jesus not for one day but for three days. And the Lord Jesus presents a scenario to the disciples. Let's see how they respond to this. He says, look, here's the situation. I've got compassion on the crowd. They've been with me three days and had nothing to eat. You know, they must be getting pretty hungry, pretty tired, struggling a bit. And uh, he says, if I send them away hungry to their homes, they're going to they're gonna faint on the way. This, is, this would not be a good idea. And some of them will come from far away. And he, he presents all this to the disciples. And uh, what are they going to be able to What are they going to do? I think I'm able to use what they've learned of the Lord Jesus so far. Well, the disciples recognise the impossibility of the situation, don't they? They say, well, you know, we're in a desolate place. We're, we're far away. You know, how could we feed all these people? Where could we get bread for all these people? The problem seems too big. The challenge seems impossible. And the disciples were right, because without the Lord Jesus, this was a completely impossible scenario. And they're saying, well, you know, there's nothing we can do. I mean, they must have remembered what the Lord Jesus had been able to do. They, they, they must have remembered that just a few months before, he had fed, fed 5,000 people. And maybe they're just thinking, is he going to do it again? We don't know what was going through their minds. But what they're saying is, look, this is beyond us. 
This is completely beyond our abilities. The problem seems too big. This is impossible. And you know what? Impossible is exactly where the Lord Jesus loves to operate. To step in and to say, well, impossible? Yeah, I can do that. And so, he steps in and says, you, you know, the, the, the disciples were right. It's a desolate place. There's 4,000 people. They've been, th- they've, they've been three days without food. They're hungry. They're kind of faint if you send them home. That's exactly where the Lord Jesus loves to operate. And so he says, right, how many loaves have you got? They say seven. Little sort of, you know, bread roll type, type things, basically. There's seven of them. They've got a few small fish. And so he directs the crowd to sit on the ground and everything's done in order. You know, he's, he's not going you to... You can imagine, can't you, if they're all just standing and then he starts to feed people and they surge forward and there's this sort of crush and it's all chaos and people are injured or worse. No, the Lord Jesus isn't going to do that. He's going he's to have it all done in order. He's, he's going to get them all sitting down and he's going to give thanks and that's a good example for us. He gives thanks and uh, he breaks the loaves, gives them to the disciples, they distribute to the people, blesses the fish, Gives instructions for them to be distributed. And these people who, you know, would, would by and large not have come from a Jewish background. There would have been all sorts of um, cultural barriers even to, you know, to, 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 to them eating together. And yet the Lord Jesus is feeding the lot. He's feeding them. And they eat. And they're satisfied. They're satisfied. They're not just—they're not just a little less hungry. You know, sometimes it doesn't happen often for me, but sometimes you get invited to a really posh do, and you'll stand in there and they'll come round with with canapes, and canapes is, is a euphemism for very small pieces of food, basically, and 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 they'll offer you one, and you'll be like. Yeah, it's all right, thanks. Yeah, just just the one, right? Okay. Um, and uh, then you'll be like, look and see when's the next person going to come round um, for, for, for more. Uh, and, 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 you know, you, you, it's all very nice and uh, so on. Um, but, yeah, you don't exactly come away going, well, I'm satisfied. Um, so they didn't go away just a little less hungry. They're completely satisfied. You know, this is... I remember having an experience like this years ago down in London. I spent a couple of summers as a student down in London. 25 years ago this summer, actually. And uh, there was a, 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 an evangelist down there, um, Nisish Patel and his wife, Ellen. And they, they came from India originally. And uh, they invited us, a few of us around for, for dinner one night. And it was the most amazing food I have ever had. You know... Uh, you know, the table was absolutely loaded with proper, authentic Indian curry, and we, you know, we, we, uh, we was, you know, help yourself. So we, we did, and uh, it was it was just amazing. We were satisfied. And then Ellen, who had served it, says, uh, "Right, if you had enough starters, we'll get the main courses out." <laughs> and, and, well, I'll tell you, we were satisfied plus 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 that night. So. That was just, you know, but basically these people were all, these people were satisfied plus, plus, plus. Because they were satisfied and there was more left over. And they took up these seven baskets full of broken pieces. Actually the word for baskets here in this case is different from the one where the 5,000 were fed. And they were sort of little sort of handheld baskets in the case of the feeding 5,000, 12 baskets taken up. Different. 
different word this time. These baskets were big baskets that were big enough for a person to fit in. And there's seven of these big baskets left over. The people are satisfied. And instead of being sent away hungry, the Lord Jesus sends the people away satisfied. So what's the example for us? What's the lesson for us? The Lord Jesus completely satisfies. You see, when you come to know him, when you come to know him as your saviour, as your Lord, the more you get to know him, the more you are amazed at how great he is. Sometimes we sing, he's not a disappointment, and I always feel that's the understatement of the year. It's true, it's true, it's not a disappointment. But, you know, sometimes we, we, we uh, you know, we, we, we understate it. And he just delights and he completely satisfies. You know, when you come to know the Lord Jesus as your saviour, he doesn't leave you wishing for something else or looking for something else. You know, I had this experience, I think I've told you this story before. It's a Glasgow story. And we're out, you know, giving out some, uh, uh, you know, uh, some, some, some Christian leaflets in the streets in Glasgow. And a chap came up to me and he says, I'd like to invite you to my house to watch, uh, he wanted me to watch the, uh, a Muslim TV channel. He says, I think, I think you could benefit from, from watching this. And we chatted for a while. I said, look, it's really kind of you to invite me to your house and all, you know. Um, but, hey, you know, see when you come to know Jesus, you're not looking for anything else. He completely satisfies and that's the way of it when you come to trust in him you don't need to look for anyone else to add to him he completely saves he completely satisfies and so the the people are sent away completely satisfied and immediately Mark loves this word immediately doesn't he it appears in verse 10 immediately the Lord Jesus gets into the boat with his disciples and they go to the district of Dalmanutha so let's speed across the Sea of Galilee in in a boat to the other side round about there on the the west side of, of the Sea of Galilee to where we go into our second section and the Lord Jesus is opposed so we've learned that he completely satisfies we're now going to learn that he is opposed So the disciples are learning that this man, Jesus, completely satisfies. They're about to learn a very important lesson. They've actually seen this a few times in action already. Whenever a work is being done for God, opposition is not likely to be far away. And the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, they've already opposed the Lord Jesus many times. And, you know, when he uh, told a man that his sins were forgiven, um, they accused him of blasphemy. And when he ate with tax collectors and sinners, they said, why is he doing this? And then when, when his disciples plucked the uh, heads of grain on the Sabbath, they uh, said, why are, your, why are your disciples breaking the Sabbath? And then um, they took counsel with the Herodians to destroy the Lord Jesus after he healed a man on the Sabbath. So the opposition has been escalating. And the Pharisees sees reappear and they're looking for an argument. They're looking for an argument. They say, we just want a sign from heaven. Give us a sign from heaven. But you know what? They're here for an argument. They've no intention of believing. They've no desire to know the truth. You know, all the evidence is in front of them. Demons are being cast out. People are being healed. The storm's been calmed. Crowds are being fed twice. And uh, yeah, they're saying, oh, can you just show us a sign? I suppose they're saying these, these earthly signs, we, you know, we, 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 don't, we don't really accept. They want a heavenly sign, a sign from heaven. Of course they weren't going to accept such a thing if they, if they were shown something. And they were determined. That they, there was willful unbelief in the case of the Pharisees. They did not want to believe. You know, people can often have 
different reasons for asking questions. Sometimes people ask questions because they want to know. And they want to understand. And they want to find out more. And that's good. Keep on asking those sorts of questions. And if after I'm finished today, you're thinking, I've got some questions. Come and grab me in the foyer later and say, look, I've got some questions. Can we talk? And and I love those sort of questions. I I love it when someone comes to me. And sometimes, you know, this happens not infrequently at work, where a colleague will come and say, look, can I ask you something? And, 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 you know, they'll they'll, they'll ask me things about what what I believe and, uh, you know, why I believe the Bible and why I'm a Christian. Those sort of questions are great. But sometimes people ask questions in bad faith. Not because they want to understand, not because they want to find out more, but just because they want to either waste time, exasperate the other person, try and paint them into a corner, they have no intention of considering the answers, and uh, you can sometimes see it when, in, in the pattern of behaviour where they keep asking things that have been answered many times, and yet they keep going back asking the same questions, or whatever evidence is offered, they reject it and say, no, nah, I don't accept that, I don't accept that, I don't accept that, and then they'll come back and ask more questions, and, uh, and, and so on. There's actually a term these days, I don't know if you've heard the term sea lioning, Right, sea lioning, I'm afraid this is another social media reference, okay? Don't spend all the time on social media, right? Okay, but sea lioning is a term that is, that is used where somebody comes and does that sort of incessant asking, pursuing people with relentless requests for evidence, and often questions that have been answered many times already, and, and asking more and more questions, pretending to be civil, pretending to be sincere, but just wanting to either exasperate the other person or waste their time. It's called sea lioning. Um, if you want to know the origins of that one, I'll, need to, I'll, I'll save that one for later. It comes from a, a 2014 comic strip, by the way. But the idea of just incessantly asking bad faith questions out of a desire to sort of um, waste the person's time or exasperate them. So the Pharisees are asking sort of bad faith questions, saying, oh, if you just, 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 just show us a sign, a sign from heaven. That's what we want. That's what we need. The Lord Jesus knows their heart, of course. We, we can't always tell people's hearts. So we, you know, we, we can't always, we won't always correctly discern these things, although there can be clues. But the Lord Jesus knows their heart. And he knows that they've, they've got all the evidence in front of them. It's not that suddenly one sign from heaven is going to persuade them. It's just going to be something else for them to reject. And he says, Do you know what? No sign will be given to this generation. And he's very quick to go, and he leaves them, and makes that decisive getting into the boat and going to the other side. And as they go, the Lord Jesus warns his disciples, and he warns them to beware of the, the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Verse 15. Now, leaven is something that maybe just we need to get a little bit of context on. It was a type of fermented sourdough. And it was used to make bread. And the idea was that when there was a little bit of leaven added to the bread mixture, it would spread through the whole mass of whatever it was in. So it wouldn't just be a little bit of the bread that would be leavened. The whole thing would be be leavened. And it was often used in the Bible to, to describe something that was evil and pervasive. And when introduced would spread throughout the whole mixture. And... Matthew, in his account of, the, of, of this episode, makes it clear that the Lord Jesus is warning them to, be, to beware of the teaching of the Pharisees. And in Luke chapter 12, the Lord Jesus makes it clear that the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. You see, these Pharisees, these religious elite, with them, it was about rules. It was about regulations. It was about appearances. It was about position in society. But actually, that was all it was about. 
And he's warning them against fake, empty religion. He's warning them against hypocrisy. He's warning them against showiness. He's warning them against religion that begins and ends at external adherence to a set of rules and rituals. And ultimately, that's a religion that's got no time or room for the Lord Jesus Christ. You see where the opposition came from so often. The opposition to the Lord Jesus that came from those religious circles. Those who wanted their rituals and their position in society and doing things the way they always had done. But they had no time for the Lord Jesus. And in fact some of the harshest words that the Lord Jesus had to utter. It was for those religious hypocrites. And he's saying beware of that. Fake, empty religion. It's all just about rules and regulations and show and external appearances and impressing other people but there's no reality and there's no room for Christ well there's a warning for us as well isn't it you see the question isn't what do we look like what do our appearances look like the question isn't what do other people think of us the question is what's the state of my heart am I right with God Am I trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? And then he says he warns them of the leaven of Herod. Well, Herod had been met in chapter 6, of course. We read about Herod in chapter 6. And Herod had had this big party. And then he didn't wait and made a rash promise. And then didn't want to appear weak in front of his party guests. So he did something that he knew to be wrong in having John beheaded. His reputation and his appearance mattered more than doing the right thing. And the Herodians were a, a group of people who were really characterised by worldly ambition and by think, and, and thinking that somehow Herod, in, in Herod would be the way that uh, rule would be established for the Jewish nation and so he's saying beware of the leaven of Herod, you know worldly ambition um, again doing the wrong thing because you don't want to look weak in front of other people beware of the leaven of Herod. Don't do things for show. Whether it's empty religious show or whether it's worldly show, don't do things for show. He wants the disciples to beware of all that. Because wrong teaching and wrong behaviour can pervade just like leaven in a mixture. And so it's important to examine your own heart, isn't it? And to say, am I the real deal? It's important to do that, isn't it? To say, not do I have a religious uh, affiliation? Or to say, am I religiously active? Or do I go along to church services? Or do other people think I'm one of the good guys? It's important to examine your heart, isn't it? And to say, well, am I right with God? Have I repented of my sins? Have I trusted? Am I trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I a follower of Jesus? So the disciples, they're listening to all this. They have one of these, one of their famous sort of not quite getting it moments. But it's always easy for us, isn't it? Because we've, you know, we've got the full scripture here. We've, we've got the answer, and it's always easy when you know the answer. Um, so we're not going to be critical of the disciples. But they have one of these not quite getting it moments. They've forgotten to bring bread. They think the Lord Jesus is talking about that, and He reminds them, and He uses questions in a good way here to help them to work out the answer. Look, I fed five thousand. How many baskets did it take up? Fed, uh, fed four thousand. How many baskets did it take up? I could feed you, I can provide, I can satisfy. We're not talking about bread. Don't worry about the bread. You're going to be, you're going to be okay. Worry about the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. 
worry about fake, empty religion and the false teaching that goes along with that, yet rejects Christ. So the Lord Jesus completely satisfies, and the Lord Jesus is opposed. So then... They're in the boat already, of course. They, 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 they headed in the boat pretty promptly as, as the Pharisees uh, demanded a sign. And they come to Bethsaida, up towards the north end of the lake. And as we go into uh, verses 22 to 26, we see that the Lord Jesus lets us see everything clearly. So they come to Bethsaida, and uh, some people bring a, a blind man to the Lord Jesus and, and beg him to, to touch him takes a blind man, he takes him out of the village and uh, spits in his eyes, lays his hands on him and uh, says, do you see anything? And the man says, well, I see people, but they look like trees walking. I can kind of see, but I can't see clearly. And the Lord Jesus lays his hands on his eyes again and, and he opens his eyes and his sight is restored and verse 25, he sees everything clearly. It's an unusual miracle because it's a miracle where it's described in two stages. You know, usually when the Lord Jesus heals someone, it's instantaneous in one stage. Now, don't get me wrong, this was a complete miracle because he's taken from being blind to seeing clearly. But it's unusual in that it's, uh, we, we read of these two stages. That this first stage where he sees it, people like trees walking and then he sees everything clearly. There's a picture here. We always have to be careful about over spiritualizing things, but maybe there's a picture here for the disciples and for us. See, the disciples' eyes are gradually being opened spiritually. The disciples' spiritual eyes are gradually being opened. The disciples' eyes are gradually being opened to who the Lord Jesus is. They're growing in their appreciation of who He is. They're about to reach that pinnacle that we're going to come to just shortly when they acknowledge Jesus as the Christ. The Messiah. And yet still their appreciation of him is incomplete. They've yet to learn that he is the suffering Messiah that he is going to suffer. But they're gradually being helped to see everything clearly. And what's the lesson for us? He, he lets us see everything clearly. You see, we really need that today, don't we? We're in a world that's maybe more mixed up than ever it has been. It certainly feels that way, doesn't it? And in many ways, it's a world that seems to have lost its way and uh, if ever we needed the maker's instructions it's, it's, it's now really isn't it and by reading his word and praying to God that he'll open his eyes to, to open our eyes to what it means we can see everything clearly we can see things as they really are we can see things separate from whatever the prevailing world view of the day happens to be we can see things in terms of eternal truth absolute truth clearly revealed to us and we're not left to guess about that it's all here for us in the word of God and he lets us see everything clearly so the man ends up with his sight restored and he sees everything clearly and there's a bit of a recurring theme then the Lord Jesus makes it clear he doesn't want publicity says to the man don't even go into the village just go home And, and this is something that he said quite a few times, told the, the, the leper had been cleansed don't say anything to anyone, told Jairus don't tell anyone about your daughter being raised from the dead 
deaf man healed, he says to people, don't tell anyone. And now he tells the healed blind man not even to enter the village. And there may be various reasons for that. You know, sometimes where people have already had the opportunity to to see and they have rejected him, it seems like he's almost saying, well, they're, they're not going to have a, you know, I'm, I'm not going to allow them this, you know, to, to see this further miracle. There's one other important reason that's coming up as to why the Lord Jesus at that point and in that context told people sometimes not to say things, not to tell and we'll come to that just in a minute so this man, the Lord Jesus he completely satisfies he's opposed, he lets us see everything clearly and now we're getting to the pinnacle they actually head away from the Sea of Galilee now, they head north and head up to Caesarea Philippi there, which is a good bit to the north and uh, Caesarea Philippi, an area that had been associated with with pagan worship over over the years, and uh, had been, uh, there had been shrines to various gods, and and, and laterally, of course, uh, Caesar himself had been had, had been worshipped and had been a centre for that. And they go to this uh, to, to to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and the disciples are assimilating. You know what have they learned? What have they learned so far? It's always useful, isn't it? Sometimes to recap what have we learned. What do we know so far? What does that mean? What are the implications for us? And uh, they've learned that this man truly satisfies. They've learned that this man is opposed. They've learned that this man lets us see everything clearly. And as they're going to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he he asks them, Who do people say that I am? And they give various answers. Some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're one of the prophets. Lots of theories and lots of ideas and lots of speculation. And the Lord Jesus says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, who's often the first to step forward and speak on behalf of the group often, he steps forward and he speaks up. And he says some wonderful words. This man who completely satisfies, this man who is opposed, this man who lets us see everything clearly, he says... You're the Christ. You're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're the one that the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures told us would come to deliver his people, to to, to deliver his people, to deliver God's people. You're the Messiah. And Peter, on behalf of the disciples, was right. Matthew tells us that Peter added, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And the pennies dropped. The one who can feed the crowds, the one who can heal the blind man, the one who's opposed, the one who could do all those things is the one that God had promised would come to save his people. And that one is the son of God himself. And the Lord Jesus confirms, if we were to read Matthew's account, confirms that Peter's right. Says, do you know what? This has been revealed to you not by flesh and blood. It's not that you're really, really, really smart. It's that my Father in heaven, the Lord Jesus says, he's revealed it to you. He's shown you the truth. And they were right. He is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The one that all scripture points to. The one that God promised he would send to be the Saviour. And if you're sitting here and you know that, that's not a matter for personal pride at all. There's no room for personal pride in these things at all. It's only by the grace of God that your eyes have been opened to see the truth. 
But this is who he is. This is who this man is. He is the Christ, the one sent from God, who is the Son of God, who is God himself. And the Lord Jesus says, verse 30, don't tell anyone about me. He strictly charges them not to tell anyone about him. So, that does seem strange to us at first glance, doesn't it? You know, we're used to, quite rightly, going about telling people about the Lord Jesus. We spent the whole of yesterday down at Duthie Park at the Pipe Band Championships telling people about Jesus, and that was the right thing to do, by the way. Um, what's the difference? Well, at this point in time, the expectation of the people and the crowds was that this Messiah, who they had rightly identified as the Lord Jesus, they thought that he would immediately overthrow the Romans, set up his earthly kingdom right there and then. They're about to get a big shocker. There's something that has to happen first. Something that has to happen first. And that's the reason they had come to earth. He's going to go to the cross. And we're just sneaking a little peek just down into verses, verse 31. And we're not going to steal Alan's passage from next week. But there's something that had to come first. He came to earth to go to that cross. And he must suffer and be killed. And after three days rise again. Because he had to go to the cross to die for us. He had to go to the cross to pay the price that no one else could pay. He had no sin. He was the perfect son of God. And God demonstrates his own love toward us, the Bible says, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His very purpose in coming to this earth was to go to that cross. And nothing, nothing, nothing would divert him from going to that cross. You know, there were times where the people had tried to take him and they were going to try and forcibly make him king. And he said, no, nothing's going to divert me from that cross. For he came to the earth to go to that cross where he did die for us. And nothing would stop him, no crowds, no misguided disciples, no unwanted publicity. Nothing was going to take him and divert him from going to that cross. Because there's no other way but the cross. There's no other way that we can be reconciled to God but through the cross of Christ. He's the only one who could die for us. He who completely satisfies. He who was opposed and is opposed. He who lets us see everything clearly. He who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, as we've travelled with the disciples today, and as they've been putting the pieces together and coming to the conclusion, who is this man? And who is this one who has power over disease, death, storms, feeds the crowds, is opposed, healed the blind man? Who is he? It's the Christ, the Son of the living God, you see. Coming to that knowledge places a responsibility on us. It's not just that we can get the right answer in a test. Because we know that. Who is Jesus? Oh, he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. It places a responsibility on us. Because what Mark is very clearly setting out in his gospel is as he's building up this picture of who is he is that we are called to follow him 
We are called to trust in Him. We are called to believe in Him and trust Him in Saviour. We are called to recognise that when He went to that cross, as we'll read about as we get towards the end of Mark's Gospel, He died for us. And as He was raised from the dead, He's alive and forevermore and able and willing to save. And so the big question as we look at who is He, is what are you going to do about it? Are you going to trust in Him? Are you going to follow him? Are you going to trust him as saviour? Are you going to acknowledge him as Lord? Because that's what he calls us to do. Who is he? He's the Christ, the son of the living God. He's a wonderful saviour. He completely satisfies. And I hope and pray that if you don't already know him, that you'll come to know him and trust him as your saviour. Now let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he came to earth. And lived among us. Truly God became truly human. And set himself on that path that went to the cross. For us. We thank you for the one who is the Christ. The son of the living God. We pray for everybody here. That they will come to know him. The salvation he brings. The satisfaction he brings. We thank you for him as we pray in his name. Amen.